Welcome to Mom Fashions, an honest discussion about the beauty and burden of motherhood. I'm Emily. And I'm Beth. And we hope these next few minutes encourage, inspire, and remind you that we are all in this together. This is Mom Fashions, a Fort Worth Moms production. Episode 42 what it's like to parent a child with ADHD. Hello, Mom Fashions listeners. Emily and I are back in the studio, and we actually brought two friends with us today. We have Erin and Anna. Hi. (laughs) We are going to be talking about ADHD today. And with the exception of me, all of our friends here today have one child um, with ADHD. And so we're just going to have an honest discussion about what that looks like for their lives and how they've been able to come alongside of their children and advocate for them and um, just walk through this diagnosis with them. So I'm going to start with you, Erin. If you would introduce yourself, just tell us a little bit about you and your family. Sure. My name is Erin, and I have an 11-year-old daughter who has ADHD, and I have a son who is six and a half who does not have ADHD to our knowledge. My husband and I are both from Fort Worth. Uh, We just live minutes from my childhood home, and so grandparents are big players in our children's lives. And during this journey, my husband has revealed to me that he probably had ADHD or still has it as he was growing up, which was new information to me. And I do not have ADHD. And so, again, even more new information (laughs) as life moves along with my child with ADHD. Always a surprise, Mm -hmm. right? I have a 16-year-old daughter, a 14-year-old boy, and a nine-year-old son. And my 14-year-old is on the ADHD hyperactivity deluxe. Um, He is my hyper, hyper kid. I grew up with my husband. In fact, we've known each other since he was 10 and we were both 10 and he actually had a lot of characteristics of ADHD as a child, never diagnosed or anything. So I definitely was actually expecting it when I had kids. Like I figured this is where we would go. He will not agree that he's ADHD, but you know, I do. Um, And I also have found that I am more of the inattentive side. So my ADD tends to be more, I don't get task finished because I'm going from place to place. So I have also been diagnosed with it as well later in life. Emily, can you share a little bit about your daughter? We've talked about it before, but. Absolutely. um, Yeah, just Mm -hmm. give us a little sense. Yeah, my oldest daughter um, has diagnosed ADHD and, um, you know, we are in a bit different situation where we don't know a ton about family history because our daughter joined our family through adoption. But there were a couple of little hints in um, the paperwork that we were given, some questions that her birth parents answered. And if I were a betting lady, I would bet that her birth father um, also had ADHD and anxiety. And, you know, from Anybody who even knows a little bit about ADHD, it's mostly a genetic, you know, issue, something that is, you know, passed through your genes. It's hereditary, that type of thing. So I suspected that my daughter, that just something was a little different 
when she was four, and it was kind of around the time that our second kiddo joined the family. And not that there was like that much difference between the two of them as babies, but it was when I kind of started seeing a little bit of differences between my oldest daughter and her peers, you know, and I filed it away. But when kiddos are young, all kiddos can't hold attention. All kiddos are very active and easily distracted. You know, like all kiddos talk a lot. I mean, like, you know, all of these things are it's just not so in your face when they're really young. And then as we kind of progressed through school, she fit the very, like, the stereotypical mold for girls with ADHD. She went undetected mm-hmm. because... She does not have behavioral problems in the classroom. Yeah, she talked a lot and kind of got distracted in class, but she was very easily redirected. So it never escalated into a problem. She was always reading above grade level, you know, all these things. But in second grade, I remember having a parent-teacher conference, and I was like, asking them, do you think she has ADHD? And they're like, no, you know, and I'm like, well, I really kind of do. Like, I think she does. And it was that summer we had our very first evaluation and mom's instinct ended up being correct. And then when she started going through third grade is when we started to see there became a wider margin between the abilities of her peers and her abilities in social situations, in home life situations, and in her just academic performance. It's like, you know, we just understand her more and more every month, every week maybe, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's just kind of unfolding Mm -hmm. for me as we're going along. So for our listeners who um, might not be aware And honestly, for me, would one of you all offer um, a definition of ADHD and then explain the difference? Um, Anna, you mentioned ADD. Can you explain the difference between those two? It doesn't have to be real technical terms, but just in layman's terms for a fellow mom. Basically, they... They will diagnose all kids ADHD. They don't, they don't call kids ADD anymore, but kids that are more on the ADD side are distracted more in, within themselves. They're inattentive. They might daydream. You may not even realize that they're doing it because their actions are more inward. And they often, because I've taught for many years, they often fly under the radar because they're not constantly bringing attention to themselves by touching people or saying things out loud. And I've noticed, not always, but I've noticed in my case that a lot of girls tend to go under the radar. I taught third grade for a lot of years and I would find out several years later that these girls were being identified and it was my daydreamers. It was my ones that were quiet. It was the ones that did their work or appeared to be doing their work all the time, but it took them hours to complete the same task. Even or, though, yes, preach, Anna. <laughs> yes, even though they have the cognitive abilities to do the work, it wasn't the cognitive abilities. It was the mental stamina that was keeping them from doing that. Exactly. And, and obviously the ADHD with the hyperactivity is 
impulsivity. It does affect a lot of boys more often. However, that's not a hundred percent rule either. It's just louder in my, I mean, my house echoes with my son. Like it's just blah with me. I'm just like, where did I put that? I can't find that. I forgot to finish that. So it's a little more, the instances are more known to me with my ADD versus my son. He affects everybody because his noise level or he's touching things or, yeah. or everywhere. And I would tag team with you on that. And the hyperactivity is not always vocal. For my daughter, hyperactivity is physical expression through her body. I started noticing when she was three and four, she could not sit through a TV show. It could have been her favorite cartoon, Blasted Caillou, which I know we all despise. (laughs) But she would want to watch Caillou every day, but she would jump on the trampoline the entire episode. If a movie was on, again, a favorite movie, she was climbing over the back of the sofa or rolling on the floor the Mm -hmm. entire movie. Um, She could not walk through the halls of our home. She would have to run almost. Whenever she passed through a doorway, she would jump up and touch the top of the door frame through every doorway she crossed. So the hyperactivity point is expressed in, I think, a variety of of ways. It's that impulsivity portion of right. an ADHD diagnosis. Yeah. Just the inability to control whatever physical movement your body might want to yeah. do or whatever verbal exclamation or observation or thought that might come in yes. or just thinking, I want to color. I want to do this, you know, like mm-hmm. in, in your body just kind of follows suit. From the very limited, I mean, you know, none of us are medical doctors or clinicians or psychologists or any of those things. But, you know, from the research that I've done just as a mom, it does seem to be from observation, there's a shift in the medical community, right? Where it used to be really pigeonholed maybe 10 years ago where boys had ADHD and girls were way underdiagnosed. But I think they're starting, like, science is catching up to realize that well, actually, the percentage of girls who may struggle this way is almost equivalent to the boys. This is not a boy's issue and that it doesn't look the same, you know, for every person. Like we've been through a couple of assessments now and, you know, they'll say like one time, well, ADHD with an emphasis on this or, mm-hmm. you know, like they there's all this stuff, which is helpful. But when you get to the day to day just existence of parenting a kiddo to me the practical like what we are doing every day is so much more important than what kind of label we have officially yeah what subtype we have secured Anna when did you start to suspect or notice things in your son that made you pursue a diagnosis he was an infant um I my first baby was a girl so when I had him two years later I just oh it's a boy thing He was crawling by six months. He was walking well before his sister. Um, He was crawling out of his crib. Um, I kid you not, I, and I have pictures to prove it. He would go in my pantry and just take whatever he could reach and just dump bags of whatever. If it was cheese puffs, it's cheese puffs all over the floor. Anything he ever touched was just, it was like a tornado just followed him around. Nothing ever had a home. Nothing was ever where he would have put it. Whereas his sister, 
she would just naturally put things where they go. He was not, he would climb on tables when he was two years old. He would run away from us when we were in public. He was a very, very active kid, even from baby to toddler. And he didn't sleep very well. He was not a good sleeper. I can semi-relate. My daughter always wanted to be facing out when we were holding her. She never wanted to nuzzle into our chests. As an infant, she always wanted to be facing out from the moment that she could hold her head up and turn her body. She would turn away from us. Um, she wasn't a great sleeper either. She walked at 10 and a half months. And of course, that's not to say that any other child that has these same characteristics is destined yeah. to an ADHD diagnosis. But I do feel like those these kids are on a physical fast forward. Yes, there's so much about Anna as an infant she actually did sleep really well and and was delayed on some of her physical things. But I think that was more due to the fact that she looked like a sumo wrestler and didn't quite have the balance <laughs> to get her body where it needed to go. But, um, like, I can just remember we would comment about how lively she would be and, like, the bouncer and the exercisers. Like, as soon as she was able to move in some way, you know, she would just go like bananas, like yeah, jump, 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 or she would like push herself and just slide in the walker, you know, like back and forth, back and forth. I will say that my daughter did fly under the radar, as we spoke about earlier. Her teachers said that, oh yeah, she seems to be daydreaming. Things seem to be floating past her like they're on clouds. The content of the class is floating past her like they're on clouds. So they definitely noticed her daydreaming, but it took until she reached third grade for an official diagnosis to come about because it was nowhere on my radar. I knew nothing about ADHD mm -hmm. as a uh, adult. I had never dealt with it in my family. It was nowhere on my radar. Educational diagnosticians were the ones who turned me on to the possibility of my daughter having it. And it was all the way in third grade. Had we known earlier, we would have done things right. a little bit differently. But gosh, the earlier you can get a diagnosis for your child, so much better will yeah. things be. Anna, for you, um, you talked about how you and your, your husband um, both have symptoms of ADHD and ADD. And so in watching your son um, as an infant and then pursuing a diagnosis, how did you feel having to pursue that diagnosis, knowing how it feels yourself? Honestly, he was such a hard kid, hard baby, hard toddler, that I needed answers and I knew I needed answers. Um, thankfully, my perspective as an educator prior to becoming a mother so I had a lot more experience with typical um, and a lot of atypical behaviors with kids. Um, and so my pediatrician didn't really say, oh, he just needs to outgrow this or anything. So because he was a very severe case, I actually felt like that's where we were headed. And I was almost relieved, if that makes sense. I don't, I mean, it didn't bother me. It was obvious when we went places that he was very busy. So for me to take that and say, oh, there's a reason, then I'm a bad parent, was more comforting than him not to have a label. What about for you, Emily? How did you feel? Did you pursue this diagnosis or how did it come about? I pursued it myself because 
I almost felt like a little crazy, but I felt validated, I guess. I felt validated when like it came back with the diagnosis because I finally felt that someone else was seeing what I was seeing, you know. I mean, my husband kind of thought so too, but like he still wasn't sure, you know. I felt some relief and some validation. I mean, but honestly, I'll just say that I also felt a little fearful and a little scared because, you know, if y'all know me, like I put a lot of effort into being a white mom of a black child. And I think a lot about adoption and a lot about transracial. And I've put a lot of mental energy in doing whatever I can to be the best mom that I can in the situation we are. And I felt afraid with the ADHD diagnosis, even though I knew it was there because I felt so unprepared and so uneducated. And at first it felt like kind of a mountain range that I had to get up enough within me, you know, Mm -hmm. to start climbing it. And I know that I needed to, and I was going to for her benefit, but it was just like, okay, here's something else I've got to learn to advocate for. You know, because I'm also advocating for food allergies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of yeah. like, okay, we're advocating for a lot here. Yes. And I felt like, I felt I was behind. I kind of felt I'd failed her, that it had taken us this long. And I felt like disappointed in myself that I just didn't know anything about it. You know, like I didn't know what to do next. I was totally surprised when my daughter was diagnosed. When we took her to the educational diagnosticians at the suggestion of our school, I went in thinking, oh, they may come back with dyslexia or some type of learning disability. So when they said we suspect an attention disorder, that was out of left field. Mm -hmm. And when we did finally get a true confirmed diagnosis, I probably went into mourning for a week, if you want to be honest. Um, I took a step back. I stopped thinking about anything else and just had to accept my daughter has a diagnosis that is going to be with her lifelong that could create hardships and struggles in so many aspects of her life for the rest of her life. I was sad about that for her and, of course, fearful of what that meant for her. How is this going to impact her friendships and her hopefully future marriage? How is this going to impact her ability to have a profession that she enjoys and succeed in that profession? So for me, I definitely had to take a step back and wallow a little bit, but then I got back in the saddle and moved on and here we are. Anna, you've known for several years that your son has ADHD. Emily, you've known just for about a year. Has it been two years yet? Um, yeah, it's been two years. Okay. And Aaron? Two to three years. Two to three years. Okay. So as you all were walking through this, there's a big learning curve, um, I would imagine. And so how was it just walking through not just the diagnosis, but learning how to understand the treatments that you chose for your children and, and more about the diagnosis specifically? So for me, there was a start but it's an ongoing process. I feel like I'm still learning to this day. Just this week, I listened to a webinar that talked about raising children with ADHD. Since this is something unfamiliar to me, I think I will be learning about it probably for the rest of my life, just to understand how my child ticks, 
what will work best for her when it comes to schoolwork, what will work best for her when it does come to managing those wonderful puberty hormones that are (laughs) right around the corner. It's a trial and error. Yeah. It's a trial and error. And I think ADHD is so broad in where it impacts her life. It impacts her physically, mentally, emotionally, that it's an ongoing process. I can't speak for Emily and Aaron, but we also were aware that there were some other issues that were going to be needing to be addressed. So our situation was when you think ADHD, oh, have you talked to your pediatrician? Well, our pediatrician wasn't in the place to say this is how we needed to progress because he did have some other diagnosis come along. But so what we ran into as we were trying this, I mean, he was four when we started therapy. And so we were on list to get testing. And by the time we got him tested, he was five. It took almost eight months to get an appointment that would look at a child of his age. The availability of pediatric care for things like this, if they are not a simple okay, yes, they need one Ritalin and they'll be good or whatever. Pediatricians also often won't address that, which I'm thankful for. I think that that it's very, very hard when the kids are a more extreme case or the medicines that the pediatrician's trying isn't working and they require the, the services of a psychiatrist because you're not going to find a huge availability of psychiatrists that will treat children. So ours was the availability of providers that would serve his age. As he's gotten older, that's gotten easier. You know, all of us, we live in a really large metroplex, Mm -hmm. right? Millions of people and much easier access to mental health support and services. But even in that, you know, it was like diagnostics and then four months of back and forth with her pediatrician and then finally get a hold of a psychiatrist, you know, and then the whole thing about taking insurance, paying out of pocket, like all that business. Then you had to wait six weeks to see the psychiatrist, and then we see the psychiatrist, and then you try one medicine. Well, then that has, you know, then you've got a few weeks where you just have to do observation. But while you're trying to do and figure out, like, you know, we do play therapy, so now we do play therapy, we see a psychiatrist. We're probably going to add in another type of therapy mm-hmm. here pretty soon. We are doing tutoring, right? And, like, I'm the type of personality is sort of like, give me an x-ray, show me the problem. Great. We're going to use this drug to treat it, and it'll go away. Or we're going to do this surgery, and it goes away. But that is not at all what support and treatment looks like for ADHD. I mean, even in the best case scenario, if we could have access to a psychiatrist right when we wanted it. I mean, think about, you know, people who do not live in large metroplexes, or how about people who aren't able to pay the psychiatrist Mm -hmm. out of pocket Mm -hmm. or pay the $1,500 diagnostic fee that you have Mm -hmm. to do. This was surprising to me, I think, for treatment because I am new to it. It took four months for us to see a psychiatrist. And then you get there and you get the medicine. But then like you still have to go to school. We are still having to deal with the like manic and impulse issues at home. And then we're going to try something for four weeks and see how it goes. You know, so like I could be at the end of five months and still not found something that's really helping my kiddo yet. 
And that's a really hard feeling for me as a mom. Mm. This has been a humbling process for me and will continue to be through understanding treatment and then how that changes when her she has a growth spurt or her hormones change and all that of being patient and understanding that this process is a really really long one it is an ongoing process and I'm a social worker by profession I'm a trained licensed social worker and I've even found it overwhelming and difficult to pinpoint what is going to help my daughter at times there's so many different types of therapy options that can be used in an ADHD diagnosis. Some people recommend occupational therapy. Some people recommend cognitive behavioral therapy. There's people who recommend parent coaching. There's just a ton of professionals out there, but which one is the appropriate one for your child? Which one will the insurance pay for? Exactly. Which one is on your side of town? When can you get an appointment for one that's not at 9.30 in the morning? Because that's all they have left. Exactly. And let's throw COVID in the mix and see if they're doing in-person appointments or online or virtual Mm -hmm. appointments. Do they need play therapy? There's so much to explore and understand about your child and their diagnosis. And that is kind of where those subtypes come in, I think, in figuring out which um, type of therapy is maybe going to be the most helpful, but it's definitely an ongoing process. And then you have to factor in the people that say, have you tried giving him caffeine? No, that doesn't work for ours. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need a cup of coffee and he'll be fine. Um, Have you spanked him? Um, Okay, that's, we're beyond that. I mean, there's so many people, I can't tell you, I went to a therapist paid out of pocket when he was six or seven, and I had been a teacher for over 15 years at that point. And he said, have you tried a sticker, sticker chart? And I said, I, I mean, no disrespect. I said, but I didn't pay you $150 to talk to me about a sticker chart that I've probably used with multiple kids, let alone my own son, or he'll outgrow it. That was another, you know, thing that, and I know those are well-meaning things, or they want to be helpful, but I also think that shows the amount of ignorance, not because they don't want to, but the lack of knowledge and understanding of how much of a brain issue it is versus how much of it is, oh, he's stubborn, or he wouldn't act that way at my house or things like that. So you're trying to deal with the medical and you're trying to deal with the armchair medical people that think they know what to do too. I had a great discussion um, last year that was with her, my daughter's teachers before COVID and with the school counselor there. And like you said, a couple of things, Anna, that so resonate with me and even thinking about how you navigate school, you know, is a whole nother topic, right? My daughter has excellent cognitive ability, right? And so we were kind of explaining that she has the ability to succeed and exceed her grade level but she doesn't actually have the mental capability Mm -hmm. to make it happen, right? So it's not like, yes, you can discipline and discipline and discipline and have her change her ways. She doesn't actually have the capability Mm -hmm. to to hang with it. That's difficult even sometimes to explain to teachers, to explain to other parents, you know, because like the older that they get, it becomes less less acceptable for Anna to melt down. Right. But the meltdown is because she 
is like stress because Mm -hmm. of sensory issues Mm -hmm. or because even, you know, she also has anxiety and that causes, you know, problems. And so you get the whole like, why are you acting this way? Mm -hmm. And then different, why can't you keep your hands to yourself at lunch? Mm -hmm. It's the capability that's the problem. And there's nothing that you can do to make them more capable. Mm And I don't think it's a widely understood diagnosis either. Mm-hmm. You know, your teachers and advocates across the community for children have the best intentions in mind for children, but they're not necessarily the experts in atypical diagnoses within children. You have to advocate for your kids. You cannot rely nope. on the special services of your district nope. or your school. Like, you have to be the one to advocate, hold people accountable, be very vocal about the needs of your kid and how you expect them to be met. And honestly, I feel like I'm more of an expert on ADHD than the shareholders in our school. Yep, I sometimes. Hate to say, I, say, I hate to say that, but I have found that I know more than they do. There are tons of consideration that educators have to take you know, notice of and follow and track and they have, you know, all these things that they have to meet. But yeah, it has been eye opening to me of just how, how pigeonholed Mm -hmm. like this has become. Well, and you have to remember teachers as a whole are constantly reminded with good reason that they are not medical diagnosticians. And so the mere mention of anything in regards to a diagnosis is very much, you know, um, now obviously giving observations of what you're noticing, but like you were saying that you have to advocate for your kid is true because coming out with those observations and me telling somebody, this is what I'm seeing. If they don't automatically think, oh, well, then it might be something else. We can't direct them that way, I guess, other than here's what we're seeing so um, advocate, advocation for your kid is, is and should be important, but we also have to remember that not every parent is able to advocate in the same way right. for their child. And it could be for a variety of reasons, whether it's language or accessibility to um, resources or anything like that, or even knowledge of the situation. I find a lot of times that's exactly how they grew up and they see nothing wrong with it because that they know that's what they did. So to them, that's normal. But if that's all you've ever known, then you're not going to know that that's not what's considered average, I guess, or that the kid might be struggling. How has the pandemic changed the way that you all have advocated for your kids' education in the last year? Or has it? So at our school, parents are not allowed to come inside the building, walk the halls, volunteer, do anything that we typically would. So I have not been able to make a face-to-face contact with my daughter's teachers except for over Zoom. And we all know that that does not count. Yeah, <laughs> it's the best we can do. It's not great at building a relationship. So I've had a, a, a definite different and difficult time with making connection with my daughter's teachers. So when I'm communicating and advocating for her, it's hard to tell tone between my communications and their communications Mm -hmm. because it's pretty much over email, maybe a phone call. But I think having shook someone's hands makes all the difference in making a personal connection with them and knowing that 
I'm coming to them out of a place of love and care for my daughter and they are doing the same. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a huge amount of time to like volunteer at our school, but I do try to do it some. One, I like to be inserting myself in her classroom or volunteering in the library. By volunteering, that helps me kind of get a sense of what life is like for her there. And of course, that has been taken away, you know, this year. And we have we have done virtual four times, like started virtual in person. Had to stop because we got COVID. You know, like all these, and then just we're still on virtual right now because pipes burst. You know, so I just had to lower my expectations that we are just going to make it. We're going to survive as best we can, and then when we hopefully can get back to a more quote unquote normal, please Lord, in fifth grade. You know, then trying to see where we need to kind of come. I mean, we're doing tutoring. We still do our therapies. Mm -hmm. Like the pandemic has been really, really hard for us in terms of mental health issues. Like it's exacerbated a lot of things. And honestly, I feel at this point we are more focused on helping her like on a personal at-home level. And I'm just going to worry about school when we can get this other, you know, taken care of. We were actually in a fairly good spot, I guess I should say. Um, And, you know, we're 10 years in, but he's in eighth grade. So his like special education counselor has been the same since sixth grade. So he didn't have a change there. We obviously had to have Zoom counseling sessions last spring versus in person. And A lot of his teachers that he has this year knew him from last year, whether they had him in class or not. So we were actually in an okay spot. Not that COVID was a great thing, but it it was an okay spot for us. But I really think that had we been four to five years ago in this diagnosis and this hit, we would have been in a much different, like it would have been a greater dire need of this happening in the middle of treatment and, and things like that. What would each of you tell a parent that's new to this diagnosis? A couple of things come to mind. One is to know that despite this diagnosis, I feel strongly that children with ADHD also have gifts that atypical children may may not have as much. I think my child is more creative than some of her typical peers. I think that will likely be the profession that she goes into, uh, something that allows her to write or draw. And not saying that non-ADHD kids are not creative, but some of the world's most prolific creators have been known to have ADHD. Albert Einstein, Justin Timberlake, I don't know if he is prolific, but that's just one example that comes to mind. This is the first time Justin Timberlake and Albert Einstein have been included in the same sentence. <laughs> right here on Mom Fashion's podcast. So sometimes their diagnoses may work to their favor. I also think it's so important to find support in some form, either finding another family that is walking this walk, um, joining a support group. I've found a couple of groups on social media that have been extremely helpful for me. I also listen to webinars, podcasts every so often. Uh, so just being educated along the along the way and not trying to figure it out on your own is critical. 
I would like to tell them that it is hard, it is exhausting, but when we um, when we climb mountains with my old or my middle son versus my other children, the rewards when we reach the top of that is just like you can't even put into words. Like I never thought we would be in a place where my son is now when he was five. I'm like, there's no way he's going to be able to go to a regular classroom and sit and do what he's doing and, and not get in trouble every single day. And, and he is. And I'd also like to mention that every day is a new day. Like it may not have been a great day yesterday, but everybody goes to bed, wakes up on a fresh start. And you can even do that from maybe the morning was really rough. Maybe they can look at it from morning to afternoon and you've turned it around in the afternoon. Don't let one moment define how the rest of your day is impacted um, because it impacts them too and they feel that. And just ask, ask for help. Don't be embarrassed. You'll find a lot of people will tend to not share those things um, unless it's outwardly, oh, he's a very busy kid because of fear of the stigma that goes along with anything that would have to be treated as a, you know, mental illness. I also think that my position in my life had changed a lot because I felt like my purpose in life had steered into another category. I was no longer a teacher only or a mom only. I was somebody that people would refer friends to and say, hey, she's gone through this. I need you just give her a call. She can help you. Um, And not necessarily medical advice, but just ways to cope. I mean, ADHD impacts your entire family, whether it's one kid that has it or if you have two kids, every person in your family has the impact put upon them. I just think that learning how to parent a kid with ADHD, but it's also how to be a how to be a wife and have a kid that has ADHD, how to have a marriage, how to have a job, how to run a house. It's not just how am I going to help my child? It's like it impacts everything. It's an all-encompassing illness, disorder, whatever you want to call it, but it doesn't have to define who you are as a family unit either. I mean, I love a whole story. You know, like Aaron and Anna have said, ADHD is hard. It becomes a family issue. But the whole story is that if it's not this, it's something else, right? My husband, who is a physician, will say that all people have idiosyncrasies. It just depends on how much of the surface you have to scratch to get to it. You know, before we all pile in the pity barge for ADHD, like, if it if it's not this, it is something else, right? Mm-hmm. You're It's sort of like letting go and mourning this ideal, these dreams that we had for our kids that looked a little too much like perfection, right? Because those have been dashed by my ADHD kiddo. They've also been dashed by my more neurotypical kiddo, mm-hmm. you know, like... It's that's just the reality. And yes, it's hard, but being a parent is hard, but it's mm-hmm. also wonderful. Like there are wonderful things that come when you sacrifice part of yourself, when you start becoming less selfish and you are giving and trying to build up and encourage your child or other mothers or all the ways that this opens you up to have compassion and empathy and help towards other people. 
I mean, that's so much more valuable Mm -hmm. than having a kid that checks all the boxes. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, it's much more beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys so much for coming together and sharing so openly and honestly. I know that this is going to be very encouraging for a lot of um, parents out there. And I just want to say I learned a lot. And you guys are warriors. Continue to um, love on your kids in such an amazing way. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. As always, visit fwmoms.com to see the notes from this show, including links to products and content mentioned in this episode. And one more time, just in case you missed it, fwmoms.com. Fort Worth Moms.